Lunch with Pippa Hudson. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Wendy is with us in studio today. We're going to be talking about homeowners insurance and some of the things you might not have realized that those policies won't cover. A little bit later on then, we'll circle back to our conversation last week about shrinkflation as we do some till slip comparisons that really speak volumes, not only about food inflation, but about the changes in packaging. So Wendy, always lovely to have you with us. Welcome back. Thank you, Pippa. Very good to be in this aircon. Yeah, isn't it nice? <laughs> not complaining this Radio week. privilege. We'll claim it for today. Um, yeah, we will. I hope also have time for a couple of open line calls towards the end. So if you would like to comment on what's being discussed or share your own experience or ask a question on topic 0725671567 on WhatsApp or give us a call on 021-446-0567. Wendy, please explain why is American <laughs> Rocker Kid Rock in our side? You wouldn't today? think, hey. Not, well, not what I saw coming. Real name Robert J. Ritchie. He lost about a quarter of his backyard on a Florida beachfront earlier this month. And Google it if you're interested. The pictures are quite um, well, jaw dropping. Um, so, yes. Um, Storms leading to erosion. And if you thought, as most people would, don't worry, a peril like that is would definitely be covered by insurance, either in the US or here in South Africa. Um, not necessarily. Sure. So we thought that would be it would be a good time to chat about the things that aren't covered by homeowners insurance. They include mold and rot and they fall under exclusions typically um, as Tom Waits the musician put it we're sticking with the musical <laughs> yes, theme okay <laughs> the large print giveth and the small print taketh away <laughs> and when it comes to insurance cover the exclusions literally take away a lot of cover that you would assume you have so to talk about why that is and if there's anything we can do about it um, I thought we'd invite um, Christelle Coleman, who is CEO and founder of Ami Underwriting Manage- Managers, which is an underwriting agency for Lombard Insurance, and she's ever willing and able to chat us through, um, talk to talk us through um, co- insurance concepts which um, are not that um, obvious to most mm. of us. It's always a pleasure to have you with us, Christelle. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here as always. Thank you. Well, we'll be talking extreme weather conditions in Kid Rock's case, and it's a good day to talk extreme weather with it being 40 degrees in Cape Town outside. But of course, we don't typically see entire backyards taken away by earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes. But you only have to look as far as KZN, Crystal, to see what flood damage can do. Uh, I was in the Himmel and Arda Valley in December. The damage from the storms in September, absolutely Mm. everywhere to be seen. And Wendy, I think you had a similar experience. Yeah, I was in Durban weekend before last and they'd had that major storm um, in January so there was just um, absolutely heart-wrenching damage to roads and people's um, uh, what do you call them uh, retaining walls and that yep. sort of thing and then just last weekend I was in the Robertson area and what happened there five months ago is still very, very ed- evident. You can literally see where those, where that river came down, came down fact, and yeah. what it took with it. So, so yeah. Um, so, Christelle, most people, as I said, would assume that when homes are damaged in that kind of natural event, that your homeowner's insurance policy, which, of course, you have to have if your house is bonded, that those claims would pay out. But the sad news is... Not necessarily. Please won't you talk us through that. 
Okay, so so there, there are a number of questions in, in what you discussed now, and I just want to uh, make a correction that that Kid Rock story is actually also it was erosion of the uh, because of, of um, the ocean beating okay. onto his property and washing away the earth that's uh, you know around and underneath the the property, um, and the issue here is we saw this in in the case of in floods as well. Typically, an insurance policy will not cover for the re- the replacement of the earth of the ground. Mm. Uh, we insure the buildings and, and we saw with the Kaiser in floods people suffering huge losses as a result of that so typically your retaining walls not all policies are created equal yeah. <laughs> Wendy and Papa but yeah. typically your, um, your retaining walls would be included but I just want to take like a huge step back and, and mm. just talk about insurance in, uh, in principle so insurance is, is something that, that it's, a, it's a protection there for sudden and unforeseen events that's like the first test that, that you always ask yourself. So something that happens over a period of time, so a gradual operating cause, whether it's rust or um, corrosion or um, something that happens you know, slowly, would typically not be covered under your insurance policy because it's a maintenance-related issue right. or an upkeep of the property issue. So, um, so if, you know, if you are, uh, you know, the, the reason why I thought this was such an important topic to discuss uh, is if you are looking at buying a home on the ocean front or the river front, uh, it's very important to ask the questions around insurance. Does the client currently have homeowner's insurance? You know, have they got flood excesses? Are they able to secure the correct, uh, the correct cover because of climate change or change in weather patterns? Are, you know, I don't want to be a climate change activist so much, but mm-hmm. we're seeing a change in patterns. Sometimes it becomes impossible to insure homes against water and flood damage because of the exposure to that specific risk. And the example I always use is the Breda River. Um, those holiday homes that were built quite low, you can't get flood insurance for that anymore. So to resell it mm-hmm. is close to impossible because you can't get a bond. I've been, so, yes. sorry to jump in, I've been thinking about those properties at Amshloti. I mean, I I heard someone just, a friend of mine just said colloquially, because I'm from KZN and I know a lot of people there, so someone's bought in Amphlotia and I was like, but why would you do that? Yes, I mean, it yeah, just keeps yeah. happening. And and do you know of properties there that have become uninsurable, Christelle? Uh, well, I, no, I can't comment specifically on that, but I wouldn't be surprised. I know, I know that, that you know that we have one or two risks. We we've already, you know, one example that I can give you is the client has got a very expensive home, you know, thirty million plus, mm-hmm. and his neighbours have started building and they started taking some of the ground away that to support to mm-hmm. the property that we insure. And now there's big legal cases going on between these two because it's not covered in terms of insurance policy. Yo. So it becomes the homeowner's problem, and it is a really, really Really important consideration when you're looking at buying ocean or waterfront properties is to understand this insurance aspect um, of, of things and you know because ultimately if you can't insure your home against a specific risk and it's not just flood related um, Wendy and Papa it's also fire so we are for instance looking at not insuring homes against fire in certain areas anymore because like for instance Betty's Bay and um, you know, out on, on that side of the coast. Mm, yeah. Because it's becoming a risk that we know will happen. Gosh. It's not. It's not unforeseen. So yes, I, you know, I just thought it's a good opportunity to, to you know, if you are looking at <laughs> those second homes, just make sure that you understand yeah. the insurance implications.
I'm just thinking as I'm listening to you, Crystal, um, something that hasn't really gelled for me before, and that is you're saying we insure the homes, the properties, but not the the earth that they sit on. Yeah. So if there was a, a yeah. flood, say, and I've seen this before, where the, the, the house is built near a river, the river comes down and literally takes out most of the sand under the swimming pool, and there it sits proud. And the insurer mm. now will say, well, we'll – We'll fix the crack in the pool, but you've got to sort out this, the, the earth. That doesn't seem fair to me because you can't do one without the other. So is there any form of insurance no. you can get to replace that sand, which is a major major sort of civil engineering endeavor, isn't it? Or am I being naive here? No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. You know, and, and again, as I said, not all policies are created equal. So there might very well be some policies in the market um, in order to reinstate you know, it's got to do with um, if, in order to reinstate the property where the earth is needed, that will be um, provided for. But what I'm talking about is what we saw in KZN is, you know, the whole property was washed away. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, so, so, okay. so, so there was the more extreme not that, version. You know, we won't, we're not going to build a house on top of a, you know, I don't know, on, on, on top of no earth. So, so you have to do that. So that, that would be. That would be covered. But but when you just, you know, you were saying maybe sort of general um, issues that people need to be aware of around um, insurance. And something that's become a major problem in our lives in the insurance industry at the moment is insuring thatched risks. Oh. So um, I don't know if you're aware of in Mabalingwe, more than 50 homes burned down a couple of months ago. And then the big the hotel in um, on the coast, on the west coast. At Chili Point. Um, that burned, yes. At I Chili was, Point yep. that burned down. Yes. yes. Now, how it works is insurance companies are directed um, by reinsurance companies. So for us to insure a home, we buy reinsurance. And and because of St. Francis Bay, the yes. two fires in St. Francis Bay, then Nisner, then um, Mabalingwe, now um, Shelley Point, and another lodge burned down yesterday, I saw somewhere else. The reinsurers are saying that they don't want to insure thatch in South Africa anymore. So um, and many of the insurance companies have started saying they're not insuring any more new thatch risks, only existing clients, oh, and the rates gosh. are going up exponentially. So if you are looking at buying a thatched house, consider the insurance implications. It really is quite something, and my advice is, instead of replacing the thatch, look at replacing with standard construction, because the insurance premium on a thatched house can be as much as 10 times higher Yo, than uh... a standard construction risk. So I I'm thinking of the all the beautiful thatched houses <laughs> I saw in Robertson just yeah. recently yeah. on Sunday. And all look like beautiful and pristine. Um, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's so it's, appealing to the eye. Yeah. But from what you're saying, Christelle, the risk that you carry if, if it has the trade-off for that and is... The, and, and what you well, pay for seriously that high. risk. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, the, the the premium is very high, but but Pippa, um, just to answer your question, you know, I um for for a few years, about ten years, I ran a specialist thatch um insurance business, so okay. I know quite a lot about this. And um, I would never stay in a in a thatched house myself because often the bedrooms are in the roof area, you know, the loft area, yeah. and it is actually quite um it's it's definitely an increased uh, risk to the, the person. You must always remember if an insurance company wants to charge you more or expect you to do certain things, they know that there's a higher risk, and that means there's a higher risk to you as an individual. So, you know, if we ask for a tracking device, it's because we're worried the car's going to get hijacked. That's yeah, a risk yeah. to you as an individual. So, 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 yeah, I think just, you know, just as a general warning out there, just be, uh, be very wary when you buy a thatched place 
you might end up um, paying much more or even not being able to get insurance in the long run. And why is that right now? Because of the deterioration of our infrastructure. Because, you know, we, we see instances where the fire brigade rock up at the house with no water in the fire, t- you know, in the tank. And I'm not saying it's the Western Cape, but we're talking national. Um, and um, it's just we don't we, we're just not as good as, as combating some of these fires as we sure. used to be before. Yes. Christelle, let's talk about what we can do to to cover ourselves against this kind of uh, disaster. Obviously, uh, you've said very, very clearly importance of proper maintenance and ongoing maintenance and being very wary of buying a house where there are signs that maintenance hasn't been kept up well. Things like rust, things like mold, things like rotting timber, which wouldn't be covered by an insurance policy because they should have been uh, maintained as part of routine. So obviously important to keep an eye out for that. What other advice? and what other options for those who, who want to make sure that they are properly covered? I think the most important message is to remember that insurance poli- an insurance policy is not a maintenance contract. Mm. So you are responsible to maintain your property and to maintain it proactively. So, um, so you know, some people wait until the, the rains come and then they say it's rain damage. That's why the roof is leaking. And then you can see that there is... Uh, you know, substantial rust on the roof, you know, on the roof plates. And it's it's actually a maintenance issue. And you can be out of pocket because, you know, some insurance companies will then say, well, because you weren't maintaining your roof, uh, the resultant damage to your contents will also not be covered. So it really, and that's why we have so many, um, uh, you know, anxi- so many anxious clients because they feel that they pay the insurance premium and when they have an issue, they don't get paid out. It's very clear when it comes to your insured assets that you have to maintain it in an insurable state. So, you know, make sure your roof is is fixed. Make sure that your gutters are cleared of leaves, um, that you do your waterproofing checks every year. You must act as if you are not insured. And then you shouldn't have a problem because when something actually goes wrong, you will get paid out. Yes. Okay. Richard Richard learned this the hard way. He's just messaged to say our house was damaged by the heavy rains around the Heritage Day weekend last year and a couple of leaks developed. I tried to claim via our Standard Bank building insurance, but we we were not covered. We were told it was wear and tear. So, I mean, Christelle, that's echoing what you've just said. If your insurer turns around and said, well, the leak, I I mean, they're thinking, I would guess, would have been the leak wouldn't have developed if you had properly maintained that roof before the storm hit, right? Mm. Absolutely. And you have, to get, you have to do this. You have to get onto your roof. You know, send someone up once a year. Um, just before, we always get, send the warnings out, rainy season approaching, check your roof, check your gutters, um, so that you don't end up with, a, with, with an, an unhappy situation. Um, and there are a million other things that we can discuss. Yes. <laughs> I would say, when it comes to home insurance, I would say, you know, act as if you don't have insurance, so you look after your risk um, and make sure that it is maintained. And if you then have an issue with a flood, it will be paid out because the, when they inspect the house, they can see the, the house is maintained and this was a once-off sudden and unforeseen event. And you would also have an invoice from the roof inspector or whatever that went up yes. to it would show that you did invest in maintenance of your yeah. property. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know how expensive it is to keep a house going. It feels like we always have someone at this property busy fixing something and sorting something out. But some people get in, under financial pressure. They just let it slide and slide and slide. And then they want to submit insurance claims. And that's unfair to the rest of us who might maintain our properties and try in that way to keep our premiums down. So, um, yes, sudden and unforeseen events that's not maintenance related is what you pay insurance for. 
Christelle, I wonder if you'd like to respond to a message that's just come in on our WhatsApp line and, and comment on whether this is correct or not. The person says an unoccupied house is also not covered. If you go on holiday for more than two weeks, the house would not be covered. Is that a no. true no, statement? No, no. Well, unless they're insured with an insurer where that is a rule. So I can't comment on all insurance companies, but the, the industry... Um, practice is when you take out a policy with an insurer, we say to you, is the home occupied or not? If it's, if you say it's unoccupied, we ask, you know, how many days a year is it unoccupied or how many consecutive days, um, is it unoccupied? And then the policy gets, um, gets issued on that basis. Right. And the worst case scenario, there would be an, an increased excess for theft and vandalism, for instance, while the home is unoccupied. Um, but I've, I haven't heard of a policy that gives you no cover. I mean, how does everyone else insure their holiday homes in Armanus and Belito that's unoccupied? So no. Yeah. Um, that's that's just incorrectly insured. They must get a broker to help them with that. Okay, thank you for that. One last question from a listener, seeing as we're talking about insuring difficult roofs, Christelle. Somebody asking, mm-hmm. what about the insurance of asbestos roofs? Uh, so much is changing in the regulations there. Um, can you still get insurance for an asbestos roof? I, I, I can't answer that. I haven't seen an asbestos request in a very long time. So I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to respond Fair enough. to that question. Fair enough. I'm sorry. That's fine, because, Christelle, you've, you've answered so many other points so eloquently and so um, clearly for us. Thank you, Thank as you. always, for joining us. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot. And Bye-bye. keep well to you. Christelle Coleman speaking to us there, uh, CEO and founder of AMI Underwriting Managers. Cape Talk. Consumer Talk. Call now on 021 We're back with Wendy Nola and we are circling back to the topic we were talking about last week around shrinkflation and skimpflation. Uh, A reminder, this was last week in the context of the the country fresh ice cream, which had quietly dropped back from 2 litres to 1.8 litres again without changing the tub size and without displaying the label that indicated the change. They stuck it on the bottom of the tub that nobody looks at. So that was the context. And it led us into a wider conversation around shrinkflation and skimpflation. And we're circling back there again today from a slightly different perspective because Wendy had a look at a till slip that's over 30 years old. And look, the prices will make you weep. But you noticed a lot more than just the prices, Wendy. I did. I have to say for context, I was... Um, in my 20s, I was married, so I was buying my own groceries. And I don't remember anything ever being this cheap, which is crazy. <laughs> it's 34 years ago. I mean, I look at this and think, I just, I just can't imagine paying, you know, these prices. One yeah. 99 cents for a tin of tomato and onion mix. I mean, but anyway, the, so the point is that, um, yeah, this till slip uh, was for a shop, about 60 items. Bought from Pick and Pay Hypermarket in Ottery on the 29th of May 1990, so almost 34 years. And um, the total, I mean, it must have been quite a shop. The total was 146 rand and 70 cents. For 60 items. Now, I mean, math is not my strong point. So I didn't do intensive math here, but um, and and what was what was what was interesting to me, even with me being math challenged, was the fact that the the um, I don't even know what the word is. The increases weren't yeah. consistent. Okay. So some were like 20-fold and others a bit less. But what I um, also found, which won't surprise anyone, is uh, that uh, 
the there weren't a lot of brand names on the slip. Now it oh. will tell you, but there 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 was only Benita for the butter, Smash, um, oh, the part the, of potatoes, potatoes yes. and Stalk Margarine. So it did make a like for like comparison tricky. I went with a brand that. I thought was was either on sale or was like a no name brand because this is pick and pay. Okay. I wanted to go into the actual store, but it was quite a, the nearest one was a drive for me, and in my week I just couldn't, couldn't make there. it. Okay. So I did an online comparison. I will say, the other thing this to say about the slip is I noticed a toll free number was printed on it. Now, if you want to call pick and pay, there's a share call at six zero, and. Um, the shopper paid with a check. I remember doing that. Unless it was a check account, but I don't think no, so. I remember taking out my checkbook and pick and pay and pay for my groceries, the check in the 1990s. I would have too, but I don't. I remember writing checks, but I don't remember doing it in a store. I mean, you, you just, you, as someone said, you're, you're, I read the, heard this just this week, your memory as you age is, is, is like an oil painting. You sort of go back and touch things up and you're not sure which was, which was I'm, I'm thinking, originally or not. You know, I'm thinking back to my first experience of living in Diggs when it was paying first the checkbook and then later when I felt very grown up where I got a credit card and they yeah. had that sweet machine oh, that yes, went zoop, that, zoop that, over what it. What call it? The, the, um, the, the, and took an actual carbon copy yeah, impression of the, the card. <laughs> We're showing our That's age. That's right. They used to run the thing. Oh my God. We're showing our age. I think the but listeners listen, are going, yes, yes. I just want to yes, say before yes. we dive into the contents of the slip, thank you. This this is one of those stories that we have fished off that wonderful Facebook platform, The Village, which is where this, this yes. was originally shared and I do just want to acknowledge Sorry, that. Sorry, I thought you said that in the beginning. No. Of course. Because it was, I mean, it made for delightful reading what everybody had to say and the sheer just flabbergastedness at the prices yes, we were looking at. Exactly. But Wendy, so, let's dive in because it, it, as you said, it's it's interesting not only in terms of, oh my gosh, remember when Mari biscuits cost 85 cents a packet. There's a lot more to it in terms of how our packaging and pricing has changed. Yes. So tell us a little bit more about so your observations. So some of the packs had stayed the same, which I think would be far too obvious if they changed them and for shrinkflation purchases. So the fruit juice cartons are still one liter then and are still now except then the the orange juice or the mixed fruit or whatever was one rand fifty nine for a whole liter and is now thirty five rand. The milk is say as well, still two liters. Two liters low fat was two seventy five. Now the pick and pay brand would have been uh, twenty rand. Um and now this is where skimflation comes in. So stalk okay. margarine still five hundred grams. It was one rand forty nine. Now uh, 39 Rand, 38.99, but it's not the same product. So, in fact, it's so much not the same product that they can't actually call it margarine anymore. And this goes for most of the margarines, if not all of them. Um, so, to, to legally be labeled a margarine, um, a spread has to have more than 80% fat. So yeah. quite some years ago, during my consumer journalism career, they that's when the, the, the medium and low fats came in because they 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 said it was for health reasons, but obviously that's the expensive part of margarine is the oil. Yeah. And, and remember, you used to be able to cook with margarine if you wanted to because it had a high fat content. Not anymore. It's too much. There's too much water in it. Right. So so now stalk margarine is just forty percent fat. Goodness, Less, down from eighty. Yeah. yeah, down from what? What? At least eighty at the time, and it's and with that price differential, um, butter we hope is the same because it's just cream. Five hundred grams of Benita butter. I couldn't find it at Pick and Pay, but it was three forty nine oh. on special. Down from seventy rand. Now down from eighty rand. Now the first choice um, brand. 
seventy rand, sixty nine ninety nine. Three rand forty nine for a brick yes, of butter. Yes, imagine oh that, goodness, that really Stephen. hits me because yeah. butter hurts us. It really does, right? Yeah. So, um, fabric softener still two liters, so they haven't uh, downsized that that uh, pack. Was nine rand forty nine for two liters. Now sunlight version. As I say, they didn't specify the brand names on the slip. So sunlight's two liters uh, fabric softener is fifty rand. So from that's about five times, well, yeah. just under. Um, let's see. Um, so let's look at let's look at what has shrunk. Smash the packs were 112 grams for one hundred twenty eight. <laughs> the pack has shrunk from one twelve to one hundred four, and is selling for twenty five rand. So that's about twenty times yeah, the, the price. Yeah, the price. Smoked mussels ninety nine. I can just picture them on the bacon kip. Yes, biscuit is <laughs> yeah. a fine dining uh, snack. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Two rand sixty nine for a pack um, that was one hundred and five grams. Now you're getting eighty five grams um, in that for twenty four yeah. rand. Also about ten, just under uh, twenty. No, ten, ten times. Ten fold. Yes. yes. Bread. This is so interesting. A white sandwich loaf. That's all the till slip of thirty four years ago says. One rand and three cents, yep. but the loaf was eight hundred and fifty grams. That was standard, and now you get six, seven hundred grams if you're lucky. Sometimes they're six hundred grams Ooh. if you if you buy the store bought yes. ones. So seven hundred grams Albany sliced white, twenty rand from one rand three. So that's almost twenty times, right? Yeah, yeah. You could have got twenty much bigger loaves. For for twenty for rand, twenty rand, back in the day. well, almost almost twenty because it was one rand three. Now that comment about the loaf now being seven hundred or even six hundred grams, is there still a standardised minimum weight for bread, Wendy? I I stand on a correction, but the last I remember from the regulations was that if the bread was less than eight hundred grams, you had to. Um, I think it still stands. You have to put the price on it. So if it's eight hundred grams, you can you can get away with not doing it. But if it's less than that, so your seven hundreds, your six hundreds, you have to put the weight on it on the packaging. And okay. now we to, I'd forgotten because I'm thinking eight hundred grams was it. But in thirty four years ago, those sliced you no know, pre packaged sliced, sliced loaves were eight hundred and fifty grams. grams. It's a big drop. As anyone who kind of feeds a family of loaf of bread will know. Yeah, and yeah. it's the thing that, you know that the it's the the price point of bread is one that really affects it hits the mass very very hard. Yes, the num- it affects the number of loaves they have to. Um, well, they they buy a set number of loaves. So they know exactly what the bread is costing per yeah. week, and and when that price goes up, it's just a really difficult situation. It, it, it hits a huge percentage of population. It also hits every mother of a teenage boy yes. who relies on toast with relate. peanut butter in the yes. middle of the night, Wendy, and the peanut butter has been taken away, and now the bread is left yes. <laughs> dropped in size. Oh dear! So that, I found problems. that very yeah. interesting, and it was so it was um, instructive. Not only just the prices, because we expect a huge margin. I think I was only earning as a as a young twenty something reporter on the Mercury Daily newspaper in Durban, the morning paper. I think I was earning one thousand two hundred rand a month. A month. Yeah. So just as well that you know that you things get- cost one rand this and. 85 cents that. And I mean, this is going back to the early 1990s um, before low-cost airlines. I was in a long-distance relationship with my now husband. And I mean, 
the cost of a ticket between Cape Town yeah, and Joburg could not be gotten for yes. less than 2,000 yeah. rand. Which, Those big paper tickets. Yes, that an estate agent in their office yes. had to issue for you. Travel agent. A travel agent, rather. And, I mean, that, that took up my entire I'm sure. to go, you know, do Worth I see, do I good see investment, Adam this though. month or do I eat? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Needless to say, 25 years later. We I know what you chose. Yes. But, but, Wendy, before we, we take a look at the next example, I, we will see your 1994 till slip and raise you one from 1965. Oh, my word. Somebody has called in who says they've still got a handwritten slip that was his mom's from 1965. And it reads, one butter, 37 cents. <sighs> One cauliflower frozen, 20 cents. One pound of raisins, 18 cents. A total of 75 cents well, on their till slip for a fairly sizable well, purchase And as I well. was alive then, but just not buying my own groceries. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, somebody's message to say, Errol, thank you. The regulation government loaf with all of the required vitamins, etc., is 700 grams. So if it's less than that point. Oh, so they've modified, modified it. it. It used okay. to be 800. Okay. Thank you, Errol, for that thank one. You, okay. Errol. Now, this is also interesting. Somebody asking, have you noticed how butter now comes with a security tag considering the price I'm not surprised in, in some places in some stores, yes. not all yeah, um, yeah but I have seen a couple of pictures on Twitter in the Tells last you weeks a lot. of that I would imagine yeah. it's a fairly difficult thing to if you're going to shoplift it's got to sit against your body and it's going to melt like this I think clothes. it would be quite Ooh. risky for the return of a very you know soft in some well, cases, melted. Butter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wendy, look, we could. We had so much feedback last week on the subject of the shrinkflation, and uh, um, quite a few listeners sent us their own research and comments on things that they'd been looking into. Um, so I just want to say, if you want to keep on talking about that, you're very welcome to call in or send a WhatsApp. Wilfred mailed you, though, I think, Wendy, and he yes. had some very interesting examples to share. Yes, so he says, I want to talk, thank you for your, for, for focusing on that. I, um, it's a bugbear of his as well. He says, um, I want to talk about other examples. He says, toilet paper. Um, for t- and this is not a shrinkflation issue, but it, it, in effect, he's getting less because four to six sheets, he says, of a 300 sheet roll are not usable because of the excessive adhesive used at the beginning and end <laughs> of the roll. This is very brand dependent, but I think yes. we all know what he's talking about. Yeah, That's more than 1%, which means that for every 100 rolls, one may need to purchase 101 rolls. Um, toilet paper is something that my audience has always wanted to talk about a lot. Yeah. And I will just say now, as we said a few weeks ago, prompted by another listener, comment and that is toilet rolls aren't all they have to have Created either equal, 350 yes. or 200 sheets um so be careful they can make the packs look the 200 uh roll sheet rather packs look just as bulky as the 300 uh sheet per roll ones do so always look search on the pack they won't draw your attention to it but if you think you're getting a good deal on a premium um, product brand. within a premium brand the chances are it's only got 200 sheets but yes I, um, the current my current brand that I'm using doesn't excessively do it so there's nothing like a four to six sheet wastage but um, I, I know that I have certainly grappled um, outside of home mm. with uh, you know Maybe even very close to home, yeah. <laughs> where you you know you can't it's unpick a, the start of the roll. It's a struggle, and then yeah. it's a wastage. So yes, then he wants to talk about liquid container designs. Plastic bottles are designed that one is unable to remove and use a percentage percentage of the contents because of the design. He was talking about lotion containers and dishwashing detergents in the pump type dispenser, and and more other viscous 
liquids such as honey, well, I just refuse to waste. I turn them over. Me I too. cut right through the packaging. I get my finger into those corners, and I would suggest everyone does that too. Doesn't make it any less annoying, mm. but um, especially the pump actions, they are very easy to use. I like to use one for my body lotion, but I'm at the stage right now where the pump thing is to one side and the bottle is upside down on my palm and being bashed Absolutely. to get the last bits Or out. just sitting on a, on a, put it on a... Um, like a cup and saucer and on a saucer and let drip. it let it uh, drip down with gravity. That's yeah. it. You and me, you obviously raised by the same school yes, of grandmother, Wendy, is what so. I can say. Um, I, I take his point, though, on some of the, uh, like, shampoo design. I'm finding currently shampoo, uh, and it's also a factor of age. My hands are getting a bit arthritic. I'm struggling to squeeze hard enough to get the last bits bit. out of the bottle. Uh, but again, if they're plastic containers, take a knife, cut them in half and yeah. scoop out with your Absolutely. finger. Problem Don't solved. And then third from Wilfred, this, uh, facial tissues. The box size is typically 10 millimeters wider than the tissues inside. The Moments brand, the Checkers Cells, and the Softy brand at Dischem are advertised to be 205 millimeters by 190 millimeters. But the box size is a lot bigger, 210 by one. 10. I believe this is a case of visual size misrepresentation. I call this deceptflation. <laughs> so Thanks, Wilfred. Sh- yeah. Strinkflation, sh- skimpflation, deceptflation. Maintain the packaging size, but reduce the size of, or, and quality or quantity of the material contained inside. Pure usage of deception to inflate prices. The actual me- measurements of the two tissues were moments 205 by 192. Um, so that's actually more than they advertised them to be. And yeah. Softy, 205 by 183. Yeah. And on the box, they say... Uh, by 190. So substantially smaller. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Sub- uh, sorry, I mixed that up. Never mind. Are they smaller than on the box? So I always say do, do uh, look at the measurements when you're buying as a comparison because... The different manufacturers have chopped and changed with the sizes a lot. So don't just go on price. And as Wilfred points out, don't go on the size of the box. Yeah. Look for the actual measurements in order to get yourself the best deal. And this sounds um, really petty, but I mean... All these small they, measurements they, amounts exactly. add up. Yeah. And if you, yeah. if you just get into the habit, this is why I prefer... Well, I do a lot of online shopping, but I love going into a supermarket where you've actually got everything sitting in front of you on a shelf. Scan and that you packaging. can scan it with yeah. your eyes rather than move around on a screen. Well, it reminds me of the tuna story last week. The, yes. the cans look identical, but one's got substantially yeah. more meat inside yeah. than the other. Of course, the ice cream example last week, same thing. Two litre tub, but with, with 1.8 litres actually poured into it inside. Now, listen to this. Uh, Barbara in Somerset West has been keeping a budget book since 1969. She says, at that time, my husband's pay was 415 rand per month. With two children in the, in the house, my supermarket bill was 65 rand per month. Petrol, six rand per month. Gosh. Gosh, you couldn't even drive around the block on six rands with petrol anymore. Haircuts were one rand 20. Uh, Gardner, four rand per month, etc. And we lived a very good life. Barbara, I mean, it must be fascinating to compare over the years how those amounts have changed. But... Um, it's yeah. I mean, the record a, creeping, record keeping there, astonishing. I was going to say, yeah. lovely to have that record. And of course, a lot of this is the one thing that surprised me. This tool slipper, he has a copy paper. Yes, it wasn't it's faded. Simple. Yes, so they must have made their own copy somehow, or maybe it was before we had that light sensitive ink, which makes our tool slips you that know, disappeared. Yes. Yeah. So I think a lot of the record, if you you know, threw your slips into a, a, a drawer or something. Um, even being in the drawer if it was opened often enough would have faded we've all had that experience so yeah. 
Yeah, I think I should have. I wish I'd been taking copies all along. But I do have enough stories over the years that I could go to, back to be able to 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 I monitor it. Yeah, I must do that. Judy also saying when we were married in 1964, you could fill the whole trolley at pick and pay for 20 rands. Wow. And then Irwin, this is an interesting comment saying in 1990, I was a trainee manager at Checkers in Plumstead. Okay. I remember the inspector used to come and test our scales for the 800 yes. grams of that government bread loaf. He said that was back when stores actually baked the government loaves themselves. They would come in and randomly check the loaves before and after baking to make sure that the dough, uh, etc., was all in line with the requirements. Wow. Sure. Well, I do know that if you – well, I hope it's the case still. If you um, have – if you buying your, your fruit and veg loose, which is – usually the cheapest way to do it and you are have a dispute over the scale in the store yes you can contact um trade and what uh trade metrology at the nrcs in national regulator of compulsory specifications yes, a specification and um ask them to send their inspectors out and um they should do that okay. also if they're not um what do you call it um Tearing the cost of the packaging out. Yes. A plastic bag's not much, but if it's a polystyrene um, container or whatever, sometimes um, they, sh- they are not tearing that off, and that's also a no-no you can report. Here's an interesting comment. Anonymous saying, I remember when margarine was white, and you could buy a small bottle of yellow-colored dye to color it no. yellow if you liked. It was once illegal to sell margarine in a yellow color because consumers could confuse it with, with butter. butter. That's very interesting. I wonder what year that was. That's a new one on me. Oh, and I have a question for listeners. I've got to put it in my notes, Pippa. There's an item on here. Um, It looks like Milano, M-I-L-A-N-O. So I don't know if that's a brand name. It's not saying what it is. 32 grams. This person bought two of them for one rand uh, 29 each. What is or was Milano? I tried to Google it. It's from 1990. As I say, I was a grown married woman doing my own grocery shopping and I don't know what that means if anyone can help me out there okay M-I-L-A-N-O all right, um, let's, I think we've got time to just squeeze and I want to hear your comment on this. After last week's show, Leonie mailed me, Wendy, and she uh-huh. said, could it not be possible to lobby that all products produced in South Africa should come in standardized metric sizes of 10, 50, 100, 250 or 500 mils or perhaps one, one and a half, two and a half kilo, kilos or liters, whether they be soap or cold drink detergent or chocolates, then it would be so much easier to compare oranges with oranges. And then they couldn't do shrinkflation And they either. couldn't get away Take with it down it. 20 yes. or 30 grams of a little. Yeah. I would love that, but I'm not holding my breath on that, that that will ever be done. The manufacturers will push back too hard, as they do globally. So yeah. they have the right to – the only thing that they are legally required to do is to ac- accurately reflect the pack size or uh, weight or volume on the pack, and they're not allowed to do it underneath, as we, yeah, as we last week. pointed out last yes. week with the ice cream. Okay, so it's fascinating how – Actively, our listeners are engaging on this subject with I'm me. Um, it tells me, oh, by the way, several people saying the Milano could well be salami. Oh, there we go. I don't think so much. That would explain okay. it. Okay. Thank you. And Look at that price. What was it? One rand? One rand 29. Okay. There's no so pack there we size go. either. It was just this random word all on its own on the till slip. Okay. Mystery solved. Thank you. Wendy, thank you. Very interesting walk down memory lane and um, with some very interesting examples on the packaging and shrinkflation issues that you flagged, which have led us into all kinds of interesting <laughs> examples from the listeners. Thank you very much uh, for that. And uh, Wendy, we will be back 
next week. Um, back in studio with a follow-up on the Discovery Health story, we I believe. Will indeed, yes. Okay, the, next, the, the next week. changes to the plans and how they're affecting listeners on chronic medications in particular. So if you are affected by that, make a date to tune in at 2 o'clock next week, Wednesday. Keep well till then. Thanks, Fipa.